0: Our second message this afternoon is from Matthew Steele. It is entitled The Gathering. Matthew? That's okay, Ron. I had all the wrong verses in one of the songs earlier, so. Good afternoon, everyone. It's, uh, it's good to see everyone here. It's good to see some visitors. And, uh, we hope that uh, you'll stick around and, and visit with us afterwards if we, if we haven't scared you off already. Church is an interesting place, isn't it? Some odd people in church, aren't there? Yeah, you're looking at him. Yeah. But, you know, we're, we're filled with people from all walks of life, all kinds of career backgrounds, interests, parts of the country, parts of the world for us foreigners that are here. We're filled with interesting, different people, different life experiences. And of course, I mean, that stands to reason we're all unique. We we all have our own life story and how life has shaped us and changed us and molded us to the the people that we are right now. But, when you get people in a church, it's a singularly unique institution or group in the world. Because we're all combined in this single faith. We're all united by the single faith and the, and the, the principles of the faith that we have. And regardless of our background, where you and I may not normally run in the same circles, perhaps. Right? You wouldn't want to be seen dead with me, probably. (laughs) And so, otherwise, we're made up of people that wouldn't come together normally out of some other interest that we might have in the world. And yet... We find ourselves here with the same faith, this belief, this hope that we are being changed by Christ in us. And that together we are the family, the children of God. Just a wonderful truth that we have. But you know, churches are not free from challenges, are they? Largely to do with the different personalities that we have in churches. Because for some reason, not everybody likes me. I, and maybe you find that, tr- that, that to be the case for you. I don't, I don't know, it's odd, isn't it? But yet we do, we have personality traits that others like and others just can't get away fast enough. And so that causes some conflict maybe. Maybe it can cause disagreements at best. And as the saying goes, if you find a perfect church, right, where everyone is in harmony, don't go there. You'll ruin it, right? (laughs) Because there isn't a perfect church. There is a perfect place. There is a perfect church for us. And of course, that's part of our faith, is understanding that God has brought us here to this group of people in this congregation for a reason. From the outside, people will look at churches. Church leaders are the, probably the most prominent, right? The big televangelists that have committed all kinds of, you know, infractions, sins of all kinds. And they'll look, see? That's what church gets you. And, and then they'll even look at you and I, right, in our worst possible moments when we're, you know, out in the neighborhood and upset about something. And they'll say, well, that's what church gives you. See? But as C.S. Lewis said, you should have seen him before he went to church. Right? Because we are a work in progress. We are learning and being shaped and molded into something that we're not yet. And part of that is by being in the church. We have bad habits. We sometimes have anger. Sometimes we're selfish. Sometimes we're even deceitful or lack self-control. We're just human. And we're on this journey together. We're still not sin-free. And so therefore, church is not a club, is it? It's not a club for the elite, for the perfect or the righteous. It's a place of recovering sinners. So we could all sit in a circle, couldn't we? And say, hi, my name is Matt, and I'm a sinner. Because that's what we're here. We're a support group. We are a support group. We're the first support group for addicts of sin. That's what a church is. We know that we're imperfect, but we know that we have a saviour that is working within us and within our church and within the bonds between each other to help us to grow, to improve and to mature in the stature of the fullness of Christ I may have mentioned this before but there was a church back in Liverpool many years ago that had a big sign and it said this church is for sinners if you're not one go away And we could all do that. We could all have that sign. And church is really an amazing place. Or it should be an amazing place. It should be a safe place, right? A safe place for us to make mistakes, for us to, well, learn from our mistakes. Not a place for judgment, not a place for accusations, for correction, yes, for guidance and instruction And helping one another when we don't see the sin in our own life. But of course, remembering about the beams in our own. So, church should be a place where we learn, where we mature, where we grow, and where we're challenged to do better, challenged by one another. When we see someone else in our congregation exhibiting the nature, and the character of Christ that makes us want to be like them in that way. Encouraging us and challenging us. But church is not always easy. So why do we come? Why do we come to church? Why are you here today? That's uh, one of the old phrases from the past. Why are you here? Why are we here? You know, we might have a larger idea of why we're here, made up of all kinds of uh, maybe religious practices and and, uh, theology and so on. And then we may also have personal reasons that motivate us to come here. We have friends, we have those that we love, that we like to see, we have family. Why are we here? In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, the author gives us a reminder a reminder very succinctly about the importance of church and how we should show fruits in the body of Christ he says in verse 19 therefore brethren having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of jesus by a new and living way which he has consecrated it for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of god let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another to st- in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another... And so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, we can have questions about this passage. I have questions about it. I want to ask you some questions about it. Let's go back through it. And let's go backwards as we go through it. What day do you suppose that he's talking about? When he says not forsaking the gathering of ourselves together, but doing it more and more as we see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? Anybody? What's the day? Is it the Sabbath day? The day of the Lord. Well, how do we know it's the day of the Lord? How do we know that? It's a bit of a trick question. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 19. Right at the very beginning, the start of the church, right? The start of, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We get this. The Apostle Peter stands up and he says, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire, vapor and smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now we kind of jumped into the middle of what he's talking about there. But the idea of the day of the Lord. This coming day that's out there in the future. Is throughout the gospel. Is throughout the story of the church. From the very beginning. And it's important that we recognize that. Again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse uh, verse 1. But considering the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day, this day should overtake you as a thief You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we awake or asleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other. Edify one another, just as you also are doing. And it's interesting, isn't it? There's a correlation between this day that's out there, that's coming, and the edification within the church, the support within the church, within the family. These two things are tied together. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but this gathering, this church congregation right here, right here in Tulsa, along with the larger body of of the church around the world, it had a beginning. This special group had a beginning. And it will have an end. Wait a second. Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Yes, he did. But there's a day coming, isn't there? There's a day coming, and there's something very special that happens on that day. It's in many ways a day of judgment and justice, but there's a day of transformation, isn't it? Because the church will cease to be the kind of church it is now, it will become something other, something better, something more complete, more full. It'll become that church that Christ wants us to be. So we come to church, when we come and worship together, we need to remember that there is a timer running. There's a timer running we only have so many Sabbaths to congregate together. We only have so many Bible studies to come together. So, so many different worship team practices. You should come up here. We have a lot of fun. But we only have so many of those, don't we? And so when we think about church, and we think about missing church, about missing the gathering, we have a limited number and we're going to just let them slip by. There is a day out there. There's a day when everything will change. And we need to be ready for that day. As we read before, church is the place where we put on the armor, where we encourage one another, we lift one another up, we help train one another. This is the practice ground that we are prepared for that day going back to Hebrews 10 carrying on with our questions what is it that that we should be doing for one another and with one another should we be irritating one another making each other mad like my sons do they know exactly where the buttons are Yep, there he goes. He's just going to spin it off tears and mucus and everything else. Is that what we're here to do? Because we are supposed to provoke one another, right? But he said, let us consider one another in order to stir up, provoke love and good works. How well do we do that? Are we good at this? maybe we're pretty good at this. But we could always do better, right? No matter how well we provoke one another to love and good works, we could always do it more. Can you have too, many, too much love and too many good works? You really cannot. Does our speech and our actions provoke one another to good works? What's the definition of Love. 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fail. Do we provoke one another with to these characteristics? Do we lead by example with these characteristics? Do we expect these characteristics in one another? Not unrealistically, but with grace. With the grace that we receive, right? And if we do this, Well, life in church is so much better, too. But that's not the only reason we're doing that for. We're we're provoking one another unto this love, unto these good works, so that we can do something else outside of church. Because that's where we're really supposed to be sharing the love of Christ. You know, when I come to church, and if I have an opportunity to not do anything, I can just sit back and I can listen and I can learn and I can enjoy the fellowship. I'm so refreshed because I'm sitting in a room full of saints. I'm sitting in a room with the people that I expect to be in the kingdom of God shining with the sun's own glory. And I'm encouraged by that. And I see the remarkable works of love that we do for one another. The tireless work of service that we give to one another. And that refreshes us. That lifts us up. It encourages us for another week. And we need that encouragement. I don't know about you, but I get tired of what we see in the world. And not just the news. You know, I was talking with a colleague the other day and The mind of this person very intelligent person very capable person the mind has been so distorted by the world I do not know how to reach this person I don't know if I have the tool to get even the little bit of the gospel God's truth into this person's mind everything is upside down right is now wrong. We don't even know what genders we are anymore. The whole world is confused. And it's even more striking, isn't it? You see it on television. You see the talking heads. And you see all the stuff that they vomit out. But then when you actually run into people that really believe these things, these things it's, it's heartbreaking. So I need a place to come where I'm in the company of those that have the mind of Christ, that have the spirit of Christ in them. Not yet perfect, because let's face it, if you were all perfect, I would be too intimidated and I'd leave. But we're working on that together. The world does not provoke us onto these good works. It does the complete opposite. It brings us down. It makes us question. It makes us question our faith at times. It makes us question whether God is really looking out for us. I'm sure there's lots of questionings going on down in the Caribbean and in Florida and Houston. Terrible things coming on our world and our country. And what is the end of it? So we come here for encouragement, to be lifted up. We come for training, for the instruction in righteousness. And as Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I think we can get that at home for sure. When we study our our Bible and we we set a time, that that study time, to learn from his word. But I think there's also a singular benefit of learning that here together. And I'm not talking about just listening to one or two guys tell you all how you're doing stuff wrong or right or whatever from up here. I'm talking about how we can share the scriptures, the word of God, together. Together. In our fellowship time after church, maybe opening up some Bibles and talking about the scriptures. Maybe talking about some ideas you got during the service today. Talking about what you've studied this week and how it's helping you. Sharing that with one another. That is part of church. In fact, it might be the most critical part of church aiding one another, strengthening one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we do that? If we do, let's do it more. Because it's interesting, isn't it? If you think about it, the world as we know is getting darker. It is getting harder to deal with the world. We need to step it up in the church. We have to dial it up too so that our resistance is there, our strength is there, the encouragement and the faith that we need to continue is there. All of this instruction in righteousness is so that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that we can provoke one another, again, back to those good works. So we need love and we need instruction, we need the teachings of the Word of God so that we can execute good works so that we can know what is a good work in a given situation so turning back to Hebrews 10 what else is there for us to consider well in verse 23 it says let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful let us hold fast to that because he who promised is faithful. So how does gathering, how does this gathering at church help us? How does coming to church help us to hold fast our faith? How does being here together help us to hold on to him who is faithful? Well, the answer might surprise you. At least not in the way we think. Because when you look around here at the congregation, you, know, you might see, oh, okay, so-and-so's back. They're, they were gone for a couple of weeks. I wonder where they were. Well, but at least they're back. That's good, they're back. They're safe. Right? Their faith's not in trouble. They're, they're not having any difficulties because they're here. They're good. They're good. Not necessarily. We have it in our own experience, don't we? Our own experience. That somebody just suddenly disappeared. From church. And never came back. And they're gone. Well, how does that happen? It doesn't happen like that. They may have been physically present here. Or in whatever church that they were in. But they weren't spiritually. Spiritually, they were out the door. And the world... Washing over them. Squelching their faith. And then we only see it, of course, when they're physically not here. So why does church help us remain faithful and hold on fast to him, the promise? How does that help us then? Church is not about gathering. Church is about relationship. Relationship. It's not sufficient to just be here and to see one another and if we see one another week after week you're good, I'm good we're all good. It's about relationship. What's going on in the life of each one of us? What is the struggles that we're having? What way can we help one another? It's relationship. It's not just about Attendance is physically being present. Of course, that's got to start there. It is about building the relationships through Christ so that we can know what's going on in the lives of one another. If you turn back to Peter's sermon on Pentecost, we're going to pick it up at the end of his sermon in chapter 2 and verse 40. We get this simple message. We see the model of what the church should do, what the church should be like. It's really very simple. It's a really very simple model. And they started doing it at the very beginning. Verse 40, it says, With many other words, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and... Fellowship, fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer, praying together, regularly praying together. And I don't think they were just opening and closing with prayer, do you? Do you? They were fellowshiping, and praying and breaking bread together. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Huh. How about that? There was a a natural byproduct of fellowshipping, of praying together, of coming together in Christ. The work was getting done. With miracles, with wonders and signs. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Just must have been an incredible time. Can you imagine... Being in that place at that time, just seeing the waves of people being gathered into the family of God. And, and, and the joy of, of experiencing that whole time period from Jesus' death and the sorrow and the loss all the way through to the, his resurrection and then on into this new gathering in his name. They became instant family, right? They became instant relations in Christ. They need, you know, if somebody needed money or food or medicine, whatever they needed. You see what they did? Steve needs some, some, some medicine over here. I'm going to go sell a bike that I have to pay for that. And, and, and you might do something for me. You know, they just, whatever you need, You take care of your family, don't you? They became this instant family. Taking care of one another. But how could they know about these needs? You know? They lived in different parts of the city, so they got on Facebook, said, hey, I'm having trouble. I need some help. They didn't have that. But they had relationships. They knew what was going on in one another's lives because they didn't have Facebook friends. They had real friends. Remember when we all used to have real friends? They had a relationship. it says it right there. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, going house to house, they know what's going on. They can share what's going on with the rest of the church family. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity at heart. Simply put, they built relationships in Christ Jesus. They didn't just gather together. They became a family. They joined their lives together, encouraged one another, they stared one another up to love and good works, and central in all of that, and we shouldn't overlook it, is prayer. Because when you have a family gathering, the Father has to be there, right? To guide, to instruct, to protect, and gather that family together. They had received the Holy Spirit. They had been made the begotten children of God, just like us. We're no different. We're just a few thousand years on, still continuing to congregate, but to build relationships building with one another true, deep relationships within the gathering of the children of God. So in Hebrews 10, we have seen that we need to gather together as a church so that we can continue in faith and grow in our faith and also love. So that we can also be equipped and instructed for every good work, which includes evangelism, which includes reaching out those in the world maybe you can help me reach out to this person that, that so disturbed me at work maybe you can give me some ideas of how to approach that individual we have seen how gathering ourselves together serves to bolster one another's faith give us a platform from which we need to work at deepening the relationships So then, what are, do we, what are we to make of Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22? What questions are there to ask about this? The writer says some pretty inflammatory things. You know, we read this now, so much time has passed from, from when this was first scribed, or first written down. But this was inflammatory. This could get you in a lot of trouble right here. Verse 19, therefore brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, you're going to do what? These Christians out here think that they're going to go into the holy of holies. This was inflammatory, right? To the Jewish ear? You better, you better not. Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And we know that this this holy of holies, right, this is this place originally in the tabernacle, then in the temple, this is the holiest place. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. This is where God would sit on the mercy seat. One man once a year can go in there. What are you talking about that we have boldness to enter the holiest? That one man went in there with a bell and a rope tied to his foot. 50 50 chance you might just die in there. And some did. And we can just go into that holiest of places within the veil. And not only that, but now we're saying the veil is Christ's own flesh. It's pretty inflammatory to the Jewish ear, to the Sanhedrin, and those in Jerusalem at this time. And yet it's true. We can go through the covering entrance. It was once that veil, that thick material veil that was torn from top to bottom. You know, and that was there to stop people from peeking in and you know dying or getting blinded or whatever it may be. a very special place. but this scripture is telling us that we can enter that place and not just The physical spot. That would be big enough, right? If we could find where that spot is on the Temple Mount, we'd probably still get in trouble for standing in that spot. Or at least claiming we're standing in that spot. But that was just a reflection. A shadow. That was just a shadow of the real Holy of Holies that we can enter. We can enter into that holy of holies when we do what? We gather together in his name. There we are. In the holiest of places. In the throne room of God. Before his throne. Before the mercy seat. Being sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Our atoning, our atoning sacrifice. And we're going, we're going to celebrate that. We're going to remember that coming soon through the veil we've been cleansed with that blood we can come into that place into that holiest place we can gather there in Jesus name in prayer in fact in the spirit we are there right now are we not we are before the presence of God And the land. Jesus said, wherever, two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. But he's here right now. And in the spirit, we are on that sea of glass. We are gathered in that holiest of places. Why is that? Why do we do this? Why are we here? Well, we're rehearsing, aren't we? We're rehearsing. Because what we do here on, on the Sabbath and on the holy days, and, and really at any other time where we gather in His name, together, we are rehearsing something. If you would turn over a few pages to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. When we're together, gathered together in this family, this church, together. We are rehearsing for this moment. Verse 18, he says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We have come to all these places spiritually when we gather together. But that's a rehearsal. This is a rehearsal. We are rehearsing for that ultimate day. What day was that? The day of the Lord. The day that the church started focusing on. The time is running out. There is a day coming. And we are to prepare for that day. Here. Within this safe place. Within this family. Within this church. We are rehearsing for the day when we will finally be on that sea of glass. We will finally stand there. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you will stand before the Lamb, before the Father, in that gathering? I do. And that's why we come to church. Isn't it? We're rehearsing. We're getting ready. I feel like I have a lot more work to do. I feel like I'm sing a little off-key. I feel like I don't pay enough attention, there's more work to be done, there's more practice to be done, there's more rehearsing to be done. But what about this cloud of witnesses? What is that? Is it just poetry? Or is it in God's time, through the Spirit, that that they are, by their actions, by their life, the saints, of bygone ages are standing there witnessing to us. Do what I did. Follow me as I follow Christ. Isn't that what Paul said? There's two ways of looking at it. We can look at those witnesses and they're watching us. Okay, they are they going to get this right? Or maybe they're witnesses of the way we should follow. They're cheering us on. You can do this. Keep working. You can do this. We can overcome. We can win. We can enter that holiest of places if we listen to them, if we follow their example, if we follow the witnesses that we have in Scripture. We can overcome. We can provoke one another to, good, to love and to good works. And there will come a day when we will stop rehearsing all the practice will be done we will line up and the day will be here of this gathering of that ultimate day of that day of the Lord as, it, as the church focuses on that from the very beginning Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse 3 he says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us, having set us a destination. There's a day coming, and that is our destination, and he has set it out there for us, for us to aid one another and encourage one another as we work toward that day, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of, of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in the earth in him. In him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of faith, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He will gather us together in Christ. He will gather us together with that cloud of witnesses, with all the saints that have gone before, our loved ones that have gone before. He Gather us together. And then the church will change the church will cease to be the church that it is today and it will become something better more powerful beautiful it will become a family born at once there are times brethren when we need to take the sabbath day and rest perhaps at home or out in the park somewhere restful to our soul that is fine. But if, if that becomes the norm and not the exception, then we're doing exactly what the writer of Hebrews warned us not to do. We will be forsaking the gathering of ourselves together. You are needed here. You are all needed here. God called you here for his purpose because he predestined you for a purpose, to be gathered on a day in the future, on that day of the Lord. You are needed here. You are loved. You need to keep rehearsing. Each one of us needs to continue this practice of gathering. We need to continue rehearsing, encouraging one another, provoking one another to good works together. If we don't, then we might just miss the final gathering altogether.